Well, good morning, church. Grab a Bible, turn to the 23rd Psalm. Today we are finishing a series that we've been in for um, quite some time called Living in the Overflow. And uh, we're really focused on the goodness of God. And, and really the, the 23rd Psalm is not about our goodness. It's about the goodness of God. Uh, the 23rd Psalm is not about our commitment to God. It's about his commitment to us. I think the 23rd Psalm is not about what we do for God. It's about what he has done for us. And so uh, that's what we've really been focusing on throughout this series. Now, last Sunday, I talked about how to face the future with confidence as we looked at the very last verse of the 23rd Psalm, where he said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Uh, so we talked about what that means and how that applies to us. And so today I want to finish it up by looking at the very last line of the 23rd Psalm where he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, church, that last statement is enormous in its implications. And the reason why I say that, that I mean, when you think about it, what, I mean, he's going out on a bang here, right? He's finishing up this 23rd Psalm, and what he is saying is so big in that last sentence, it's bigger than everything else he's already said combined in the 23rd Psalm. And uh, it's absolutely huge. So uh, I'm going to, you know, with you, you praying for me, I'm going to do my very best to try to communicate um, the enormity and just the, the practicality for us and what it means for us in our, in our future. So I'm going to ask if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read the 23rd Psalm and as we, as we get into God's word this morning. So David writes this, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And here's the big one. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And all of God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. Well, obviously, he's, he's really thinking about heaven, right? He's, he's ending on a high note. He's ending with a crescendo, and he's really focused on heaven. And what I want to do this morning is just kind of springboard off that, and I want to answer five questions about heaven. I'm going to get as practical as I possibly can. I'm probably going to go a little bit long, but I think you're going to like where we're going with this one today. So I'm going to answer the question, what is heaven? What is heaven? And then secondly, I want to try to answer what will heaven be like? Thirdly, I'm going to try to answer the question, what will our relationships be like in heaven? And then fourthly, what will we do in heaven? And then lastly, how, how shall we live now because of the reality of heaven? All right. So now I want you to know that just to help me to prepare this sermon today, I'm, I'm going to be drawing on a book by Randy Alcorn as a pastor uh, it's about that thick. It's a, it's a book on heaven. And I would commend you to buy this book and read it. Uh, I've been in this book the last two weeks, and it has been a blast uh, working through this. This is a theology of heaven. He's gonna, he will show you things uh, scripturally about heaven. He has spent most of his ministry studying heaven and answering a lot of these kinds of questions. So I'm drawing on, off his ideas today. So, uh, so just know that up front, and then go buy the book and read it for yourself. Everybody get it? All right, good. All right, let's look at this first one. What is heaven? 
well, really, that's a simple question. Heaven is really the dwelling place of God. It's, it's, it's where God dwells. And so, um, and so really, heaven is the place where the throne of God is currently. So God reigns and rules from, from heaven and from his throne in heaven. And he looks down on the earth uh, at all the, all the things that are going on. And so at the incarnation, Jesus descended to the earth from heaven and then after his death and resurrection he ascended back into heaven and so we are told at the end of time Jesus will return from heaven and then at some point really uh, not long after that he's going to remake heaven and earth and combine them into two so that's 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 kind of a, a little bit of a flyover of heaven so David says he says I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever now, I don't, have a, I don't have a lot of time to kind of talk about this but because we talk about it every Easter, but we are going to receive glorified uh, immortal bodies in heaven. We will have physical bodies in heaven. They will be glorified. Uh, they will last for all of eternity. And so when David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord, I, I think he's aware of that. I think he knows that we will be resurrected uh, with glorified, immortalized bodies. And so here's kind of my definition of heaven. Um, heaven is really just living in God's house with, with God's people under God's rule with God himself forever. And so heaven really is the ultimate expression of the goodness of God. So we've been talking about God's goodness in this entire series and this is, heaven is the ultimate expression of it and the cross is the place where Jesus paid the ultimate price to secure heaven for you and for me. And the gospel is how we access the gift of heaven in our lives. All right, now let me just show you this from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. So I'm, I'm just starting broad here, and then we're going to uh, get really focused on this. But let me show you what Paul says about the nature and the character of God and his goodness. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses... He made us alive together with Christ. So what he's telling us is he's telling us about his goodness. He's telling us about God's great mercy and God's great love for us and that he did something. What did he do? He, he in essence, raised us up from, from being spiritually dead, dead to God in our relationship with him. And he, and he, and he saved us. And so we see that because he goes on. He says, by grace, you have been saved. Now, I talked about last Sunday what grace is, and I, I just said grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve, and that's exactly salvation. It's God giving us what we don't deserve, and so, um, and so that's kind of what he's alluding to. But notice how, what else he says and how he unpacks this. He says, you've been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, that's an interesting that's an interesting sequence there. I want you to notice that he's speaking to Christians and he's speaking in the past tense. You've been saved, you've been raised, and you've been seated in heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you, but when I sit down, I don't feel like I'm in a heavenly place, right? I mean, this earth's kind of, you know, broken and sinful and evil and dark. So what in the world is he meaning by that? Well, I think it's pretty simple. I think, I think the, the essence of this is God is outside of space and time and he already sees into eternity. And at the moment of salvation, 
God has done so many things to save us and to forgive us and to transfer us into his kingdom. And so at the moment of salvation, it's like, you know, from God's perspective, he already sees the end result that we've been raised and seated in heavenly places. Our salvation is so real, he already sees us in the future. That's pretty mind-blowing, all right? So, so really, that's what he's alluding to there. Now, the goodness of God, as we've been talking about, is not just God helping us, you know, when we, to have strength when we're weak or, you know, comforting us when we're anxious or, or fearful or God just providing for our needs, as we've talked about in the 23rd Psalm. But here's, here's just the, the most incredible, phenomenal part of the goodness of God. It is God saying to us, I want you to spend all of eternity with me. I want to I live with you and you with me for all of eternity. That is, that is mind-blowing, that God wants to have a relationship with us, church. And that's, that's why heaven is such a big deal. Now, why does God give us a place in heaven? Well, Ephesians 2, 5 through 7 gives us the answer. Let me just show this to you. He says this, so that... So he has seated us in the heavenly places. He's raised us up. He's saved us. And he's done this so that, look at this, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So what he wants to do in giving us a place in heaven is display his immeasurable mercy and grace in our lives. And he's just going to continue to do it. And that is incredible as well when you think about it. I mean, part of what God wants to do is just reveal his goodness for all of eternity to us. And that's part of the purpose of heaven. Now, what's fascinating to me about this is there's no mention in this passage of our goodness. He doesn't say anything about how good we are. He doesn't say anything about how righteous we are. And I think for a lot of us, we fall into this error, this, this thinking that, well, you know, I'm a good person and, you know, I go to church and I do good things in the community. Therefore, God must save me because I'm a good person. And a lot of people in America believe that. And church, the reality is we're not saved by our works. We're saved by the immeasurable riches of his mercy and grace. And God's going to show that for all of eternity. I mean, can you imagine what heaven would be like if we were saved by our own goodness? Can you imagine what heaven would be like? We would walk around and do what we do on earth right now. And you know what that is? Compare ourselves to one another all the time. Well, you know, I'm, I'm better than them, but I'm not as righteous as them, you know. And so we're, our eyes are always constantly comparing. But you know, in heaven, what will, we do, what will we do in heaven? We'll constantly be praising the richness of God's mercy and his grace. It'll, all, it'll be all about him. You know, somebody will ask you, how are you doing in heaven? And you will say, uh, infinitely and eternally better than I deserve. That's exactly what you'll say. And, um, and so that's, that's a, just a glimpse of what heaven is. It is the dwelling of God to display his glory and his grace, all right? Now, let's get a little bit, let's take it another step. What will we or what will the new heaven and earth be like? What will heaven and earth be like? So notice what he says. He says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, so notice that word dwell. That means to live. I'm gonna inhabit. I'm gonna dwell. I'm gonna be in the house of the Lord forever. And so Jesus mentioned this point, you know, just right with the disciples right before he left. Notice what he says in John 14. 
He says this, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? So he's, in my father's house, there are many dwelling places. And I'm going to prepare a dwelling for you. And if I go and prepare a a dwelling or a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now that is fascinating. So when we talk about the new heaven and new earth, it's going to be a place for us to live with these brand new bodies. Church, listen to me. It's going to be a physical place. Heaven is not a state of mind. Heaven is not a, a state of being. It is a real place. It is a tangible, physical place. It is actual, it is literal, it is real. He is preparing a place for us. Not only is it a physical place, but it's a permanent place. David says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So for, on and on, you know, for, for all throughout eternity. So, so basically what this means is that everything you've seen in movies about heaven is 100% wrong. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, so, yeah, what do we see in heaven? I mean, our picture of heaven is so distorted uh, by a non-Christian world communicating God's heart for heaven and God's design for heaven. And then it's that unbiblical picture of heaven that sticks with us. Now, you know, part of that is, you know, our view of heaven is we're going to be floating on clouds. You know, we're going to have angels and wearing, wearing these robes and playing the harp. You know what I mean? That's kind of part of what we're going to be doing. And to me, that's not heaven. That's hell, church. That's what that is. Um, and so, and so heaven, is, heaven is not this, you know, cloudy kind of existence. It's not this dreamlike, foggy state. It's not nirvana. Heaven is not a metaphor. It's a real place. It's a tangible place. And I think that there are, you know, I I think that there are so many indicators in Scripture that gives us glimpses and insights into the age to come. Now, I I get it. I mean, we're we're trying to explain an eternal, infinite place, and, and, you know, we are very much finite. So there's a there's a part at which heaven is unexplainable and incomprehensible. But but to but to those of us who love the word of God and had our spiritual eyes open to his grace, I think God God has whispered to us insights into what heaven is really like. And I, I think it I think it starts with our desires. I think if you pay attention to your desires, you will know that you yearn for such a place as heaven. I mean, you, you go around the world and you see the beauty of this world, the natural wonders of a sunset or a sunrise or snow-capped mountains or the Amazon rainforest or, you know, the, the, the Grand Canyon, which, you know, so many of you have visited this summer, you know, and you, you're captured by the beauty of that. And what do you do? You take a picture because you just don't want to leave that. And so what it does is it bridges our heart to eternity. We, we yearn for something. There's something about the beauty of those places that draws us in and it just creates longing for us. And, and we do this, we, we experience the same thing when we're enjoying food with family and friends. You know, we're sitting around the table telling stories and, you know, uh, telling jokes and just laughing and carrying on. I think that's a glimpse of heaven. Our hearts are made for that. And we long for that to continue and uh, 
we want to see it become a reality in our lives. We, we experience different parts of life here, including culture and entertainment. You know, we, we go to a sporting event. We see a play. We read a great book. We, we, we get immersed into a great movie. And there's so much, so much beauty. We just want to touch it and we want, and because the beauty is touching us, right? And we just want it to last. And one of the things that, that we experience is that that doesn't last, and so that has to point to, as, as I've talked about many times, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about this, it must, be, it must mean that we're made for a whole other world. If we've got these desires that are only aroused here, but they're not satisfied here, it has to mean we're made for another place. And so, and so we, need to, we need to pay attention to those desires and we need to stop believing the lies of the world that says these desires can be fulfilled here. They can't be. And we need to give up the chase and start chasing God. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, we want something else which can hardly be put into words. To be united with the beauty that we see, to pass into it, to receive it unto ourselves, to bathe in it to become a part of it. I think, I think we, we experience moments of transcendence and, uh, and, and our hearts are just stoked for it. Now, let's, let's just take it a little step deeper. What will heaven really be like? Let me say this. Let me say a couple of things on this. Um, I, I think the new earth will be just as much earth as the new us is still us. All right, you guys tracking with me on that? So the new earth that God's going to create and combine with, with, with heaven will still be earth. It's, as one theologian I read said, he's not going to put us in another world. He's just going to remake this one. And, um, and so you're going to recognize the streets and you're going to recognize the cities and you're going to recognize the fields and the forest because all of it will be the scene of redemption. You will see redemption unfold right in front of your eyes. There will be a familiarity with the new earth, but it'll also be brand new. And so that means you'll see a new and improved Florida Keys. You'll, you will see a redone Niagara Falls. You will drink out of the White River and not die. You know, all of those things, um, they're, they're going to be remade. You will recognize them. Secondly, this is interesting, the new earth will contain the new Jerusalem. We see this in the book of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22. You can read about it, uh, read those chapters later. But it's interesting, 15 times in chapters 21 and 22, John mentions that the place where God and his people will live together is a place called a city, the new Jerusalem. And then you have the repetition of that word and then the features of the architecture there, the walls and the streets suggest, church, it's not figurative, it's literal. It's real. There's a geographic location to it. And let me show you, let me just show you Revelation 21, 15, and 16, because we see the city's exact dimensions. And this is mind-blowing. This is so incredible. Notice, notice what John writes. He says, and the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. So the measuring, they make measuring tapes out of gold up there. Isn't that amazing? Uh, that's what he's saying. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are all equal. 
Now, 12,000 stadia are the equivalent of 1,400 miles. So, so this is basically, do the math, this is two, this is a city, two million square miles. This is a big city, really big. So, so Randy Alcorn in his book talked about this metropolis would be the size, would be the landmass size from, from the Appalachian Mountains to the California coast, to the Canadian border, to the Mexican border. That's a big footprint. And then not only that, which is even more astounding, but John tells us it's 1,400 miles high. That's how big the New Jerusalem is. So that suggests it has an incredible skyline to it and or it's multi-level. And so this is going to be a home to a lot of people. And uh, it's not going to be, we're not going to have the problem of being overcrowded. It is absolutely huge. Around this new Jerusalem is a high wall with gates all the way around this vast city. Let me show this to you, Revelation 21 verses 12 through 13, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed and on the east there were three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates. Now what's the significance of a city's walls and gates? Now obviously we know that through history the walls and the, walls and the gates were very crucial to a city's defenses. So these are defensive measures and, def and protective uh, barriers. But here's the thing. In the new heaven and new earth, God will not have any enemies. And, um, and so there won't be any metal detectors at the gates. You won't have to show your passport, you know, to get in. There won't be a, you know, band of angelic police officers there or anything. Um, what it tells us, Revelation tells us, there will be a constant stream of people flowing in to the new to the new Jerusalem, flowing, flowing in and out. The gates, in other words, will always be open. Will always be open. Let me just show this to you. Uh, verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. I think we'll still have the sun and moon. We just won't need its light because the glory of God will be so bright. And so, and so it says, for the glory of God gives its light and, and its lamp is the lamb. By its light will the nations walk. So there are going to be nations existing on the new earth. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And, and the gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there. Now, I think the significance of the gates always being open shows that, you know, the city's gates are the great equalizer. Like there's, there's no elitism in heaven. There's just constant access. There's constant flowing in and flowing out. All races, ethnicities will be represented as they come uh, to the new Jerusalem for worship and fellowship. It's interesting, you know, the times I've been to Israel, there are a couple of uh, major gates around the city of Jerusalem. This, the old city of Jerusalem has huge walls built around it and then these, these massive gates. And the gates are where people hang out and congregate you know, and, and fellowship. And I think that's exactly what will be happening there. So, so in the new earth, there's going to be the capital of the kingdom. And that'll, that'll be the new Jerusalem from what, we, from what we gather from Revelation 21 and 22. Now, the apostle Paul says this um, in Philippians 3.20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, 
when you think about that, when you just kind of focus on that for a minute, what is citizenship? Citizenship is really, um, really it's just a marker for where you belong. And uh, it, it really is comprised of responsibilities and privileges. So what he's saying is our citizenship is in heaven, and in heaven we have responsibilities and privileges. Well, what responsibilities will we have? Well, I think um, from Scripture what we're going to see is we will have work in heaven. There will be work there. Um, the difference is we're going to enjoy our work, okay? Our work is going to contribute to the greater good. Our, our, our work is going to glorify God, and it's going to be very satisfying, so there will be work in heaven. God gave us work before even the fall. So work is not a result of the fall. Work was a part of God's grand design. And so I believe that there's going to be commerce in heaven. I think there's going to be trade in heaven. I think there's going to be technology in heaven. I think we're all going to be working in our different areas, in our different you know, areas of expertise and maybe learning some new areas. I don't know. But I think there's, we're going to be busy about work and it's going to be really, really good. I think that's part of our responsibility and even privilege of living in our new country, our, our realized country, if you will. Now, now, some people might push back and say, well, Scott, I mean, this city's all well and good, but I'm kind of a country person. I want to live out on the outskirts. Well, here's the thing about the new Jerusalem is... This is unlike any city you've ever seen before. And so this city is probably going to have natural wonders to it. This city is going to have beautiful architecture to it. The New Jerusalem will not have all the things that we associate with sinful cities in this broken world, like, like poverty and crime and drug abuse and rats and garbage and, you know, uh, all of that stuff. It's not going to have any of that. This will be unlike any city we could ever even imagine that we've ever ever even seen before. And so, so I think that's kind of what it'll be like. Now, um, I think now I'll get into a little more of this later on, but I think we'll have the opportunity to explore the cosmos. I really do. I mean, if you want to go camping on Mars, you're going to be able to go camping on Mars because we will invent uh, technology that will get us there and to be able to facilitate that happening. If you want to go run with the giraffes in Africa, then, you know, uh, you're going to be able to do it. If you want to pet the crocodiles in New Zealand, I think you're going to be able to do that. There's going, the curse on creation is going to be lifted and uh, it's going to be really, really good. One of the things I learned uh, from reading Alcorn's book is he made a very strong case that we will have time we will, we will live in space and time in heaven. Because a lot of us think, well, it's eternity, and so there's no time in heaven, or, you know, in, in our existence there, we're going to be kind of ghost-like. But no, he, he really made a case. He, he listed probably a dozen, two dozen scriptures that really indicate that there is time in heaven and, uh, and that we will, we will live in space and in time. If you think about it, only God is omniscient and omnipotent and omnipresent. He's the creator. We're the created ones. We're not omnipresent. And in heaven, we're not going to be omnipresent. And, uh, and so if I'm hanging out at the east gate of the new Jerusalem, that means I'm not going to be on the west gate. You guys know what I'm saying? 
And so, and so really, if you plan to get together with family and friends in heaven, you're going to still have to answer the question, when and where? You're still going to have to answer uh, that question. And there are a lot of passages that point to this. Let me just show you one. Genesis 8.22, this is really interesting, um, where God, said, God says this, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And so that's an indicator there. If he says it's not going to cease, then I just take it for his word. It's not going to cease. So it, it indicates that we'll have the seasons in heaven. And I think if we have seasons in heaven, I think we will live off the land in heaven. I think we'll eat its fruit and its vegetables and meat and all, all kinds of delicacies that the earth produces. But we're going to live, church, in space and in time. It's just going to be a redeemed time in heaven, if that makes sense. And so let me just make it real practical for you. You know, when you say goodbye in heaven, you'll never, you'll never fear that that's the last time you'll ever see that person because there'll be no more death. You'll be absolutely assured of that, that you will see them next. Uh, theologian Henry Burkhoff really captures this concept about time in heaven beautifully and let me just read it to you and hopefully this this kind of fills in the gaps where I'm where I'm kind of coming up short but I, I love this quote so he says consummation he talks about the new heaven and new earth and us being with Jesus means to live again in the succession of past present and future but in such a way that the past moves along with us as a blessing and then the future radiates through the present so that we strive without restlessness and then we rest without idleness so that always progressing we are always at our destination now think about that what he's saying is we're going to be living and progressing all the time and yet we're always at our destination only god could do that only god could do that I don't even totally understand it, but, but I, you know, I got, we get a little glimpse of it. All right, so that's what I uh, think the new heaven and new earth will be like. Well, what will our relationships be like uh, in heaven? Well, heaven will not be without families, but we will be one big family. So heaven will not be without families, but, but we, will be one, we will be one big family in heaven. We will have family relationships with the people who are our blood family on earth. But we're also gonna have family relationships with our friends, both old and new, for all of eternity. And when you think about this, this is really good news because many of us come from great families, but many of us don't. You know, many of us come from broken families where there's just sin and you know, dysfunction, where it's just rule, and really, for some of you, many of you, family's been painful and I think, I think the joy of heaven will be this, that God, God will redeem that for you. And, uh, and those of you who come from those painful family experiences, you're going to experience joy a hundredfold in your family in heaven. God is going to satisfy and meet that need. Jesus promised this. Let me show this to you. Mark 10, 29 and 30. Jesus says, truly... I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel 
who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and in, and in the age to come, eternal life. So what he's promising there is that if you've had to sacrifice, you know, family because of the gospel for the sake of Jesus, he's going to make that up to you a hundredfold in all of eternity, which I, I really envision that to mean that if you've not been able to have children in this life, that, you know, or maybe you've been separated from your children, that both now and later, God will give, give relationships that will meet your needs to guide and invest and help and serve and love others in such a way. Uh, if you've never had a parent that you could trust on earth, there will be plenty of trustworthy parents everywhere in heaven who will remind you of the trustworthiness of your heavenly father. And so I think that's, that's kind of a glimpse of how God will begin to redeem it for us. Uh, some of what we have sacrificed and had to go through. Now, what will marriage be like in heaven? This is where everybody kind of leans forward. Everybody wants to know what's going on with this one. Well, it's interesting reading and studying on this. There was a there was a run-in that Jesus had with the religious leaders in the gospel, and, and uh, these guys were trying to trip, trip up Jesus, trying to trap him, and so they concocted this story about this woman who had been married seven times, and she had seven, you know, had, had seven husbands, and so they asked her, you know, you know which, which husband will she have in heaven? And so Jesus knew their heart. He knew what they were trying to do, and, and so in Matthew 22, verse 30, he, he answers this. He says, but Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. He says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, there's a lot of confusion over this. So let me, let me just kind of hopefully clear it up or not add to it. Um, the Bible teaches there will be marriage in heaven. Clearly. Genesis to Revelation, there's going to be marriage in heaven. There's just going to be one marriage. And you know what that marriage is going to be? Jesus and the church. That's the marriage that we're pointing to, that, that everything in this world really points to, Jesus and the church. And so, so really, human marriage today mirrors a greater reality in the new heaven and new earth, in, in, in all of eternity. Let me show it to you in Ephesians 5. And so Paul says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So he's talking about earthly marriage. The two will become one flesh. So the God bringing two together as one is a mystery, a profound mystery, he says. But I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So what we know is earthly marriage is a signpost pointing to our relationship with Christ as bride and groom. So, so really what this means is this, earthly marriage is the shadow, our, our heavenly marriage to Jesus is the substance. And so, and so really, our earthly marriage, the purpose of our earthly marriage is simply to prepare us for our heavenly marriage, to get us ready, you know, for, for Jesus. And, uh, I think it's really cool. And I think we, again, pay attention to our desires. We have a longing for a perfect marriage, but we know that earthly marriage is not perfect. You can say amen to that if you want. Amen, right? Um, so there's no human relationship that can match that desire. That desire can only be matched by Jesus. 
So again, it's another indicator that we're made for another world. Now, Luann and I have often talked about, you know, are we going to hang out together in the new heaven and new earth? You know what I mean? And, and I say absolutely we will. Uh, Luann is, she's my best friend on earth. And, uh, and I, she will be that in heaven. I really believe that. And, and the reason why I believe that is your relationships don't start over in heaven. They're going to pick up right where they left off. There's continuity. And, and, so, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I fully see that we're, gonna, that we're just going to get closer and closer in heaven as we make more and more friends. Does that make sense? And, and I think that's what it's, that's what it's going to be like. So Jesus is saying in this passage, he's not saying, you know, that marriage is completely done away with. What he is saying is this institution of people getting married will not happen in heaven because there's only one marriage. Now, what about our children? What about when death separates us from our children? Well, I, I, like I've already kind of alluded to, I, I believe we'll pick up right where we left off with them and we'll just keep growing closer and closer with them. We'll, we'll gain new relationships, uh, but the existing ones will deepen. Uh, what about our current friendships? You know, so that's, you know, when you think about that, that's important as well. Let me show you Acts 17 verse 26, because this gives us a clue, I think, in some insight into even friendships. Notice, notice what the, uh, Luke records here. He says, and he made from every man, from, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Now notice this phrase, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Now, what, what Acts 17, 26 is saying is this, that God in his sovereignty chose us to live in this time, in this place. So practically what that means is your friendships have been appointed to you by God. Like God knew what neighborhood you're going to live in. He knew who your neighbors are going to be. He knew all the other kids in your youth group. He, you know, he knew your work team and your, your classmates. He knew all of that. And God, in his sovereignty, appointed those relationships. And those relationships that are in Christ don't just come to an end. You see, God's plan, this is, this is so important. God's plan never stops. It just it just extends and it's fulfilled. So those relationships will continue. God never abandons his purpose. He extends those purposes, fulfills those purposes. Those, purpose, those purposes become a reality. Now, let me, let me just say this because this is so much part of our, our sinful relationships on earth. Uh, in, in the new heaven and new earth, there are gonna be no clicks. There's gonna be no... Uh, exclusiveness, no arrogance. There's going to be no jealousy. There's going to be no belittling. There's going to be no bullying. There's, there's not going to be any insecurity. So, so one day, you know, when you're walking in to the south gate of the New Jerusalem and you, you look over and you see Adam and Eve holding hands as they're walking in, you're not going to look at them and say, you know, they are just so shallow. You know what I mean? I mean, look what she is wearing right now. Hardly nothing. You know what I mean? Um, um, <laughs> You're not going to say that. You know why? Because we will have been transformed. Sin is gone. And we will love each other. 
And you will look at Adam and Eve and say, man, isn't the grace of God amazing? Isn't the grace of God amazing? And for that reason, I'm here as well. I mean, along with this is there won't be misunderstandings. There won't be miscommunications. What there will be is love. That's what there will be. That's why it's important that we learn to love now. That's why we work at learning to love now because it's getting us ready for the, for the place that we all want to be a part of, a place that's characterized by love. All right, so that's what relationships you know, will be like in the new heaven and new earth. Now, let me, let me just kind of answer this question. What, what will we do in heaven, all right? Now, one of the things that, that I picked up throughout uh, Alcorn's book, and if you read it, you'll, you'll find it too, but he talks about this principle of continuity and uh, really, continuity is just an uninterrupted connection, right? It's, it's really just a continuation. And so, um, and so just like when, the God, you know, when Paul says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The reality is, is we're still the same person. We've just been transformed. Like, like when I became a Christian, I, I didn't stop being Scott Luck. You know what I mean? Like I didn't stop that. But through the grace of God, I'm actually becoming who I'm actually created to become. I'm still me. And in the same way, in the new heaven and new earth, when they're transformed, they're not going to be completely done away with. They'll be redone and renewed and restored. And so in other words, there's, there's continuity between this world and the world to come. So this has everything to do with what we will do in heaven. All right, so Let's kind of let's kind of think about that. So, what will be some of the things that we do in heaven? We will sing. We will we will worship God. We'll make music. We will dance. We will we will tell stories. Uh, we will do all of that. Um, I believe that we will have the arts and entertainment in heaven. Uh, I really do. God is the creator. He's an inventor. Uh, he's the master storyteller because he's telling the story of redemption. He is an artist at heart, so he knows all about art and so that means there's going to be sculpture there's going to be painting there's going to be ceramics there's going to be poetry there's going to be songwriting and music you know and beautiful music and symphonies there'll be musicals and dramas and comedy that you can be a part of movies and concerts and 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 there'll be all of that that will entertain us and fill us with joy and here's the key difference this is where there's no continuity In our earth today, those things typically, not all the time, but typically those those things, those expressions of art and entertainment tend to glorify evil and darkness, but not in the new heaven and new earth. You see, in the new heaven and new earth, we will be celebrating God's goodness to us. I think we will be creating expressions of art that will express gratitude to our loving God, our creator for the immeasurable riches of his grace. And then we will go and watch those performances and we will praise our Father in heaven. How about this? I believe there'll be sports in heaven. I really do. Uh, You know, you might push back and say, well, you know, I love to play golf, but golf's not gonna be any any fun in heaven because every time I swing the golf club, you know, the ball's a hole in one. And uh, so that's just gonna be boring. And some people believe that, but I don't believe that. I think we're going to be perfected in character, but I don't think we're going to be perfected in knowledge. And if we're not perfected in knowledge, we won't be perfected in skill. So what that means is, very practically, if you have a really bad tee shot on earth, 
you're going to have a really bad tee shot in the, new, in the new earth. You guys tracking with me? Except the difference is you'll have all of eternity to work on it in the new heaven and new earth. <laughs> That's what it means. Some people object to, well, it can't be sports in heaven because competition brings out the worst in people. But see, here's the thing, church. In a sinful, broken world, that won't be the case. I think we'll compete. Um, there's tremendous joy in competing. We want to see that happen. And I, I remember times where I played intramurals in college and we were hot and heavy in competition and uh, we got beat by a better team. But there was just something even in that, uh, just a sense of satisfaction in that, knowing that, you know, there's pleasure just, just in competing. And so, so I think there's going to be all kinds of things to do in heaven. Um, camping and rappelling and you know exploring and all kinds of stuff the bottom line is church you're not going to be bored in heaven you will not be bored in, in heaven now let me just close with this how shall we live now i've tried my best to just give you a little bit of a picture of what we have uh, to look forward to but but how shall we live right now and here's the thing that i would say heaven is really only for children of god heaven is only for those who who've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. And Jesus himself says this. He says, to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so heaven is for the children of God. And... Uh, we're not talking about some minor issue here, church. This is the issue. And the issue is, have you settled the issue with your, your Lord and Savior? Have you settled the heaven issue? Because see, only a fool would, would live life unprepared for what you know inevitably is coming. And so Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'd go and prepare a place for you? And he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come in and take you to be, you know, take you to myself so that you may be where I am. And the disciples, you know, looked at him and said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And what did Jesus say? He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. So have you dealt with the way and the truth and the life? See, you, you need today, if, if you're not a Christian church, you, you need to understand the incredible, immeasurable riches of God's grace that he has prepared for you. And uh, the only appropriate response to that is to repent of your sins and to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Now, if you're a Christian, let me just say this. You know, for a lot of Christians, we just get so distracted with things that don't last, things that don't matter. And uh, we, we spend our life just kind of wasting our life on, you know, stuff that doesn't matter, reading things that don't matter, talking about things that don't matter, spending our time on things that don't matter, you know, watching things that don't matter, listening to things that don't matter. And my challenge to you as a believer, think about where you're going and focus on what matters. You know, Paul said, you've been raised with Christ. Seek, seek the things that are above, 
not earthly things. Set your minds on things above, not on temporal things. Because you've been raised with Christ. And you're like, well, what is it that I need to be focused on? Well, really God and other people. That's the bottom line. Serving God, serving other people, loving God, loving other people. Your prayers matter. Your giving matter. You know, your giving matters. Your, your teaching in children's ministry matters. Leading your small group matters. All of that stuff matters. Why? Because all of it plays a role to get us ready for the life that God has prepared for us where we will experience the eternal goodness of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're reminded that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard and no mind has conceived the things that you have prepared for those that love you. So God, I just pray that through the the work of your Holy Spirit, your justifying and sanctifying grace, God, I just pray that we would love you more. I pray that you would open our eyes to see your glory, the immeasurable riches of your grace. And so we just thank you for the hope of heaven. We live in a dark world, but we're just passing through. We're just on assignment. We're ambassadors. We're light and salt. But man, this is not our home. We long for the day that we walk in the new Jerusalem, God. Thank you that it was bought and paid for by the blood of your son. That we could spend forever drinking in the goodness of God, to the praise of your glory. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.